Good morning. It is good to be together this morning to worship God. If you're a guest, we are so thankful that you're here. Uh, we're looking forward to this period of worship. Before we get into the period of worship, we want to remind you of a couple of things. Remember to make your list of 100 and post those. Come a little bit early this evening, stay a little bit late, and uh, read through and get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ better because when you read their list of 100 things that they're thankful for, you're going to know them a lot better. It surely is a blessing already to see uh, very various lists that are there. Also, we are thankful to have the opportunity to help uh, those who are in need. And in the Philippines, uh, we are saddened by the conditions that the typhoon has left, the loss of life and the loss of property. Uh, but we are thankful for great Christian works that have been a part of those islands uh, for many years. One particular work is Open Door Ministry. And we have supported that ministry for a while now. And we're going to send as a church family $3,000 to help them. They have the uh, theological college there, the Philippines Theological College. And they have 12 students where their families have lost almost everything. And so what this ministry is going to do is they're going to help those 12 families. They're going to help five to 15 congregations that have total loss of their building. And they are going to expand their orphanage as we speak. And they're going to take in children that this typhoon has left as orphans. And so that's their three highest goals. But also know that on December 1, in your Bible class, you're going to be given the opportunity to also give for this relief. And that will be gifts above the 3,000 that already is a church that we're giving. That particular relief may go to other ministries and organizations that are in place also in the Philippines. That particular research is being done right now to see where it could best be used. But the elders asked me to mention that to you uh, all day today and let you know about that collection on December 1. Contentment for four sermons for two Sundays. We've been digging deeply into this topic of contentment. It doesn't matter what your situation, it doesn't matter what your possessions, you can find contentment not because of your surroundings, but because of your God. All throughout the scripture, the emphasis is you can learn contentment because of the greatness of your God. So let's join in song together and let's study Isaiah, the 40th chapter together today as we worship the great God that we serve. Isaiah never needed a life for what some people call coming. You see, for 150 years, the Assyrians have been growing as a world empire. And throughout all of Isaiah's life, he watched them demolish the northern kingdom. You think it's possible to breathe easy whenever there's such defiance and destruction around? And not only that, the southern kingdom where Isaiah prophesied, 46 walled cities were taken over. The only place that seemed to stand firm with just a small ray of hope was Jerusalem. And Isaiah and the remnant were trying to survive in Jerusalem. And it's in that setting that we read Isaiah, the 40th chapter. You would think that a lot of that chapter would be about their situation. And in a sense it was. But it was about the God that was a part of that situation. Read with me, if you will, Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verse 1 and 2. I'd like for you to notice the word comfort used, no doubt, not mistakenly, three times because that was the message that God wanted to relate to the people of Judea. 
the 40th chapter, verse 1. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, exclamation mark at the end of that, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. Isn't it interesting that in this situation, the cry that God said you must make to Jerusalem, it's a cry of comfort. And the very root word of comfort is sigh. I want everyone with me for just a moment to inhale a deep breath. Now let it out. You're okay. That's the idea of sigh. You're okay. God is the one who can make difficult situations okay. Breathe easy. Yes, breathe easy, says God. God says to Isaiah, go tell Jerusalem. Go tell them to breathe easy. There most definitely is a great relief not necessarily always because of our situations, but because the God, please get this, the God who is far greater than any situation that we may be in. Until we understand, at least to some extent, the width, the length, the depth, and the height of God, we will not know deep. Contentment. The contentment that we've been studying about is not just a mental exercise in self-control. The contentment we have been studying about that Christians have the opportunity to experience is a contentment that is related to understanding how great their God is on which they find their contentment. Philippians, the fourth chapter, two weeks ago, we studied about Paul being able to say, I may be full or I may be hungry. I may abound or I may suffer. But I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. How, Paul? Because I can do all things through Christ. He can find that contentment because of God. Last Sunday, we studied Hebrews, the 12th chapter, we saw the greatness of God, the one who can shake the whole earth, and at the end there'll be a shaking down, and we want to be a part of the kingdom that is unshakable. And four verses down, the 13th chapter, we come to verse 5, and he says, Don't be covetous. Instead, be content. And the verse that transitioned into that at the very end of the 12th chapter was telling us to serve the Almighty God with reverence and fear, for He is a consuming fire. I want you to think about God's admonition to His people at a time that was perilous around them. And of all the things He said was, breathe easy. Remember who I am. Let's praise God for that. 
the majesty of God is seen in many ways, but perhaps it's never been more beautiful than when Jesus Christ came to this earth. Isn't it interesting? In the very next few lines of Isaiah, the 40th chapter, are prophetic of Jesus coming. As a matter of fact, the verses that you see, verse 3, 4, and 5, all four Gospels quote this passage to tell about John's mission to make the way for the great Lord that is coming. In just a few moments, we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper. I'd like for you to read with me these passages that speak of our Lord, even back under the old covenant. Verse three, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That was John's mission. Notice the description of what Jesus is going to do for mankind. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. You remember John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is that highway for mankind to travel to God. Is it going to be possible though? What if the valleys are too deep for you to make it to heaven? What if the hills are too steep for you to make it to heaven? What if the path is just too hard for you to make it to heaven? Jesus won't allow it. That's why Jesus came to this earth. Let's read it here. Every valley shall be exalted. In other words, the deep valleys will be raised up. And every mountain and hill brought low. Now we're looking at a level plain. The crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough places smooth. Brethren, that's reason to give glory. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you remember in John the first chapter where it tells about Jesus coming to this earth and taking on flesh? And do you remember it says that he became flesh and dwelt among us? And then John says, and we beheld the glory of the Lord, the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. The glory of of the Lord is revealed in Jesus coming to this earth, dying for us. Death could not hold him. God resurrected him. And even before he died, he gathered together. There was the Lord's Supper in which he instituted because he wanted that glorious hope. You see, this passage is all about hope. He wanted that glorious hope that we find through him to never, never escape our mind and our heart. Do you remember in John 1 and 1, Jesus was called the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Look, if you will, in verse 6. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? And then this too is quoted several times in the New Testament. All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but, contrast, but the word of our God stands forever. 
You look in the springtime at the beautiful grass in the fall, it's not so pretty anymore. You look in the spring at a beautiful flower in midsummer, late fall, it's not so pretty anymore. You look at the human race, you look at us individually, our own human life, and there's times that we seem young and strong and like nothing could go wrong, but a season will pass and we'll grow ill and we will die. Is there anything that is certain? Is there anything that is permanent? Yes. You see, your possessions are not permanent. Your money is not permanent. Your health is not permanent. And sad enough to say, sometimes our families aren't permanent. We can't always count on them. Sometimes our friends don't even stand where they ought to stand. Sometimes our work conditions are not secure. Listen, there's only one thing on this earth that is permanent. The word of the Lord stands forever. And that word is the gospel. And the core of the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. In that we find his majesty. In Christ's coming and death and resurrection, we find our hope. And that is permanent. Let's sing about it. And let's take of this Lord's Supper in a way that would honor the one who deserves all the honor we could ever offer to him. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 14 and 21. Uh, it can be found on the Pew Bible on page 638. Once again, it's Isaiah 40, 12 through 14 and verse 21. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? measured heaven within a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance, who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the fountains of the earth? Did you notice those rhetorical questions? The answer each time was nobody. Think for just a moment back in verse 12. How much water can you measure in your hand? A tablespoon? A couple of tablespoons? What about God? How many stars could you measure if you placed your hand on a star and between your thumb and your pinky, you said, I'm going to measure the span. That's referring to your hand. There's one that can measure the universe with his hand. How about you? Anybody you know can do that? Or notice that next rhetorical question in verse 12. Who's calculated the dust of the earth? Nobody. Or what about that next one in verse 12? Who's weighed the mountains? Weighed the mountains? Are you kidding? Who's weighed the mountains? Nobody has. Oh, no people have. But there's one that has. Who gives counsel to God? Who seeks justice? You see, the point is very clear. At a time where they're feeling uncertain about their situation... Isaiah speaks to remind them of one they can always trust. As you view some of God's majestic creation in the next few minutes, I want you to think about verse 12 again. Verse 12, 
Think about the seas. 70% of the earth is surfaced with sea and water. God can dip once and make the Atlantic and at the very same dip, the Pacific or the Mediterranean or the Black Sea or the Red Sea. Think about how God can hold all of the universe's water in his hand or consider space for just a moment. Consider how amazing it is that God can measure out heaven with just his fingertips. The Milky Way galaxy is 120,000 light years long and yet God can measure it in such a way or consider dust. Can you imagine counting the grains of sand in all of the earth and the universe? Can you imagine the slopes, the mountains, and the hills? Can you imagine that God literally looked down and picked the 23 mountain ranges as he was making creation to say, I'm going to put each one exactly where they need to be for the earth to move through space at 1,040 miles an hour, rotating while it's doing it, and I'll make sure that the hills and the mountains serve as weights to keep everything just where it needs to be. It truly is amazing. As we think back again, what about you? The problems that you have, maybe you feel like you can't handle them. How much water again can you hold in your hand? And God holds all of the oceans in one scoop. What about the heavens? How wide is your hand? And he can measure not only the Milky Way galaxy with his hand, but he can, he can measure the other, what is estimated to be a billion galaxies just between his pinky and his hand, his thumb. Friends, when we sing, how great is our God, have you really stopped and tried to comprehend how great is a God who not only made all of this, but can hold it literally in the palm of his hand? Or have you looked back at the dust and to think, that every grain of sand on every beach, every particle of dust in every desert, every particle of dust making up dirt in every delta, God knows every particle he made. Have you, the verse said, he calculated them. Have you counted the particles of dust lately? You say it's impossible. No, it's not. God's counted them. He's created them. He's calculated exactly how much needs to be at every location. Or finally, consider those mountains again. Any of you that have ever seen your tires be balanced at a tire shop, you can appreciate this. You know what it is, perhaps, to drive down the road on a tire that's out of balance. What if the earth was out of balance? God literally looked down and weighed the mountains and the hills and placed those 23 mountain ranges and all of the hills exactly where they needed to be for there to be perfect balance. Friends, our God is an amazing God. Isaiah, the 40th chapter in verse 15, even brings this into greater insight from a different angle. 
Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. Imagine a bucket with, you've just poured and you're about to stop pouring. And then on the lip of the bucket is one drop. And Isaiah is saying, that's what all of the nations of the earth are. There's 196 nations in the earth. 196 nations. And all of them are just one drop in a huge bucket compared to God. Let's continue to read on. And are counted as small dust on the scales. All the nations is just a particle. Look, he lifts up the aisles as... A very little thing. In other words, he lifts up the coastlines. Look at 16. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. You remember the, the forest of Lebanon? They were considered the greatest forest. Nor its beast sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Do you see what he's saying? He says, lift up all the coastlines you can. Gather all the forest in Lebanon and pile up, make an altar. Get all of the beasts. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills and pile them on top of that altar and get all the nations of the earth together and now say, we're going to give a burnt offering sacrifice to God, which he deserves. And when we recognize the greatness of God, we will realize that if everybody on earth Gave a burnt offering, oh covenant thinking here. Gave a burnt offering to God with every tree that's ever been, with every animal that's ever been. God still deserves more. His majesty is so much greater than what we can even comprehend. Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see him who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He's talking about the stars. He brings out the stars by number. He calls them all by name. We're talking about billions of stars in each galaxy. And there are billions of galaxies. He calls them by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. See, I'm not implying this. This is what he says. Who could create all the stars, billions of them, and know that not one is missing? Listen, if he knows that a sparrow falls, you better believe he knows his stars. He knows when one burns out. He knows every one of them by name, and none of them are missing. And you say, who could know that? That's why he said, that is the greatness of our God. That is the power of our God. Let's sing songs of praise and offer a prayer of praise. What good would it be to have such a majestic and powerful God if he didn't love you? I'd like for us to extend the invitation by reading the 40th chapter and verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God... The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, remember, wait is anticipation of something greater. It's not doing nothing. It's being faithful, anticipating what is greater. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Sometimes you may not feel like you can keep walking. Other times you may not feel like you can run. And sometimes you may feel like I could never fly. Listen, there's one who is all powerful that can give you the spiritual strength to walk again, to run again, and to fly. And so in verse 9, we have good tidings. O Zion, who brings good tidings? Get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah. Now what's he going to say? He said, I want you to go to a high mountain. I want you to say this and I want you to say it with strength, with volume. What do you want me to say, God? Behold your God. Behold. Capture him. Look at him. Gaze deeply. Don't miss your majestic God. Why? Look at how he cares for you. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. This great God cares for us like we're his little sheep. He will gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom. That's close to his heart. And gently lead those who are young. This great and awesome God loves you. He loves your children. He wants to hold you close. He wants to carry you when the valley seems too deep, but it's not. He wants to help you when the mountain seems too high, but it's not. He wants to help you walk when you think you don't have the strength. Let you even run again when you think you'll never even do so. He'll let you fly again. Why? He loves you. He loves your children. He loves you that much. But he will never force you. It's your choice. You decide whether or not you allow the majestic God of the universe to reign in your life. You, please listen to this. You're one seventh billionth of a drop of water. And the God of the universe can hold every ocean and sea and river and spring and creek in his hand. And you're just one seventh billionth of a drop. You can try to go alone or you can rely upon the one that is far greater than we can even comprehend. You can say, God, get out of my way. It's all about me. Or you can say, God, I want to walk in your way. It's all about you. If you're ready to allow God to take control of your life and you're ready to become a Christian this morning, we would love to help you. We would love to assist you in being baptized into Christ. Maybe you've already been baptized into Christ. You need to come back. You need to allow the Almighty to truly reign in your life. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.